Well, I'm going to start off and start talking about trouble. Who's ever been in trouble before? I can see those looks. Yes, yeah. Us guys really know when we're in trouble, when we get that glare uh, from our spouses, don't we? Uh, But trouble, I mean, you don't have to go very far to find trouble uh, in the world. In fact, you turn on the TV, in fact, you cannot turn on the news and just find there's trouble. Uh, And yet, in many ways, we live in a world that's so much better than what it's ever been before. Medical technology is the best it's ever been. Uh, which is amazing. Educational opportunities are the best they've ever been. Uh, mortality rate for around the world is the best it's ever been. And so in many ways we live, or in parts of the world, it's the best that it's ever been. And yet, ironically, we're facing a situation around the world that we've never seen so much trouble, which is a little bit troubling. And... Um, you know, as I said, you don't have to turn the news on very far to hear about extremists or, or wars or uh, weather events or, or whatever. Even turning the TV on in our household can cause a bit of trouble. <laughs> Someone likes to own the remote. Surfing up and down the channels. <laughs> it's not me. Oh, oh, oh. No, it's a confession. It could be. I like the old days of TV. Do you remember the old days when you had rabbit, rabbit ears? And you had to hold those things just right. And then when you're holding them, don't move. Just don't move because the screen would go all hazy. And if you had to change the channel, you had to get out of your seat, turn the dial. There was only two or three things to turn because that's... In fact, there was only two channels in New Zealand until 1989. And in 1989, Channel 3 came. So how the world's changed, and of course, it is. There, there is trouble. Um, I think back, you know, um, just a few days ago to the tornadoes um, on both the east and the west coast, uh, particularly that family in, in Taranaki was sitting down for an evening meal and this tornado came and, and tore the roof of their home. And I was just imagining if that was me sitting down to have some KFC and the tornado sort of whipped that off my plate. Uh, that's trouble. <laughs> Have, have you ever had this situation? This has happened to me where you've been rushing out to a work interview, first interview for a job, and the car battery's flat. That's trouble. That's terrible trouble. What about this? A third of people in their relationships complain about their other partner or spending too much time on their device. That causes a lot of trouble. And of course, there's a very, very challenging aspect to trouble uh, in New Zealand regarding mental health and the sad statistics on those who have lost their lives to suicide. It's a serious issue for our country. And then there's trouble in businesses. Last week, Fletcher Challenge reported they had lost $190 million for that year. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And I don't know about you, but trouble is something everybody experiences. You can be a Hollywood movie star with all the fame, all the money, all the cars in the world, and there is still trouble. All this trouble, what does it do for you? Does it create anxiety, fear, cynicism, wondering what's coming next? I thank God for what the scripture says in Proverbs 18.24. We have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't it good to know that when there is trouble and challenges, we have a friend in Jesus who sticks closer than a brother? 
And so this morning, the title of my message is Finding Peace Amongst the Trouble. Finding Peace Amongst the Trouble. Do you know there's different types of trouble? There's trouble we cause ourselves. <laughs> He's been in that sort of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I certainly have my fair share of that. <laughs> and of course, then there's trouble that we have nothing to do with. Nothing that our thoughts or our actions have been involved upon. And, <clears throat> you know, I think of earthquakes around the world. No person's caused them. There are events that happen. The devastation from them are substantial. I think of the earthquakes in Indonesia uh, very recently, or floods in India. And, of course, the distance, the further the distance away, it seems to diminish the impact. But when a disaster is closer to home, like the earthquakes in Christchurch, it brings it even closer to us. Or even if there are challenges or troubles in our own homes with our children, our spouse, surfing TV channels, um, troubles at work, financial troubles, there's challenges. In fact, some people name places after troubles. In uh, 1770, James Cook, the explorer, was in Australia uh, sailing around the north of Australia, and he got a ship um, struck on a reef. And uh, he called the place Cape Tribulation. And he writes in his log, we called it Cape Tribulation because here began all our troubles. So troubles are nothing new. They've been around for a long time. I think of Moses, and you can read about this in Exodus 31, 32, 33, where Moses is on the mountain with God. Can you imagine that, being on a mountain with God in his presence? There's a cloud. He's around you. It's just, it's like being here on Sunday morning. It's awesome, the presence of God. And God takes some stone and writes a message to Moses. Moses. These Ten Commandments, it's not a message for only for him, but it's for the people of Israel. It's for all of those who follow faith. And as Moses is on this mountain, enjoying the presence of God, getting these Ten Commandments from the Lord, the Lord says, hey Moses, there's trouble in the camp. And the Lord says something really interesting. And, and why don't we pick this up in Exodus chapter 31, or 32, actually. Exodus 32, verses 7 to 8, if you have your Bibles. Um, so Exodus 32, verses 7 to 8. And the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people, don't you like that? Your people? Uh, before that, they were my people. And Moses said they were your people. I found that when our kids were in trouble, when he would say to me, your kids. When there were angels, they were her kids. <laughs> so uh, the Lord says to Moses, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from what I've commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and, sac and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out from the land of Israel. And you could imagine the Lord being pretty upset about that. And of course the story goes on to say that as Moses comes down from the mountain, he sees the people dancing around this golden calf. And his anger burns in his heart. And he takes these stones, these stones that have been written by the hand of God. I'm curious to see what God's handwriting was like. You know, you get those handwriting experts see, that sort of can determine a person's personality by the style of their writing. I wonder what they would say about God's handwriting. 
It's, it's just a thought, to use Ian Green's um, comment. So Moses is infuriated, and in his trouble, he throws these stones on the ground, and they shatter into a thousand pieces. That was a bad day at the office for Moses. There was trouble. There was huge trouble. But what about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27, I won't read all of this, but this is what Paul says. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 39 lashes on the back. That's a bad day in the office, isn't it? That's trouble. That's real trouble. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent a night in the open sea. Lots of trouble. I won't read the rest of it, but you can, you can go to that reference. So what does Jesus say about trouble? I am very curious to see what he has to say about trouble. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. This is a key passage, and so I really encourage you to to reflect on this during the week. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. How is that? Doing the Lord's work, offering sacrifices sacrifices to the Lord, and you lose your life for it. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Because they were worse sinners? It's a question Jesus is pondering. He gives his answer straight away, not at all. There's nothing to do whether they're more deserving of it or, or sinners or not. And you too will perish unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died in the Tower of Siloam? When it fell on them, were they worse sinners in Jerusalem's? No, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So once again, a bad day in the office, some terrible trouble, people losing their lives, and when good th- or sorry, when bad things happen to good people, it raises some questions, doesn't it, about trouble? And so Jesus deals with four assumptions we have about this, and so. I was thinking about this statement, when bad things happen to good people, there's something actually a little wrong with that statement. I don't know if you know what it is. Good people. Are we really good? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us who hasn't sinned. And in God's eyes, there is not one that is good. If it wasn't for the grace of and the protection of God, I think we would be open to a lot more trouble than what we do experience. So Jesus confronts, I think, four things in this story that he's illustrating. Sometimes we can think when a person goes through trouble that they're suffering in proportion to their sinfulness. In other words, they had that happen because they were more sinful. Jesus says, that ain't true doesn't matter how much they've sinned or not. Trouble happens, and that's not the reason for it. And here's the thing. When things go wrong in our lives, I want to encourage you. God is not out there to punish you. He loves you. Jesus has taken our punishment. 
If your cat dies and you get another one and that dies, God is not punishing you for having cats. He loves you. Point, another point, bad things happen only to bad people. To that assumption, Jesus says, no, that's not true. And to the other assumption, we have the right to judge when bad things happen. Jesus says, you don't. What he's looking for is a heart that's willing to change to enter into the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus said in John 16, 33. And this is a really important piece of scripture because Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's about to die. And these are the final statements that he's saying. And so I want to read to you from the Message Translation and also from the J.B. Phillips Translation. So first of all, from the Message Translation in John 16, 33. And Jesus answered them, Do you finally believe? In fact, you're about to make a run for it, saving your own skins and abandoning me. But I'm not abandoned. The Father is with me. I've told you all of this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured. Here it is, deeply at peace. There's a lot of trouble happening. But Jesus is saying, I've told you this so you'll be deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart, I've conquered the world. In the J.B. Phillips translation, So you believe now, replied Jesus, the time is coming, indeed, has already come, when you will be scattered, every one of you going home and leaving me alone. Yet I'm not really alone, for the Father is with me. I've told you all of this so that you may find peace in me. You will find trouble in the world, but never lose heart. I have conquered the world. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is saying these two things, trouble and with me, peace, coexist at the same time in the world that we live. And I think when we realize that, that we do live in a world where there's trouble, there's the kingdom of darkness, which wants to cause trouble and and confront us with um, challenging things. God says, I'm in this world with you to give you peace. And we can find God's peace through some of the most challenging and difficult things. And so I want to encourage us how to find peace. And firstly, before we go, peace is a big deal to God. It's a big deal. It's who he is. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may the God of peace, he describes himself as the God of peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says of Jesus, he is the Prince of Peace. Uh, in Galatians 5, 23, where it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace. This is the fruit of the Spirit because this is who the, the, the Spirit is. He is loving. He is joyful. He is all about peace. And the gospel is described as the gospel of peace in Ephesians 6, 14 to 16, where it says, um, have your, shoes, uh, your feet shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace. Romans 15 says the same thing, who preach the gospel of peace. God wants us to experience peace. He really, really does. He wants every one of us to know his peace. doesn't matter what the storms are coming. When God looks at you, he wants to go, my son, my daughter, I have peace for you. 
I have peace. That is my gift for you. There's trouble all out there. There's earthquakes. There's businesses losing millions and millions of dollars. There's challenges in families. There's challenges even in our own families. There's health issues. God says, I want you to know my peace. Isn't that good? Isn't he a great God? In the midst of our challenges and our difficulties, he says, I want you to know peace. Absolute peace. I think it's wonderful. So what does the word peace mean? It's a good thing to ask, isn't it? Is it the absence of war or a truce? Uh, in such arrangements, there can still be tensions. But the word peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say that? Shalom. Turn to the other neighbor and they'll say, Shalom. It's a, it's a word that means whole, complete, total calmness. Shalom. To put it another way, it's the way things should be. It's the way heaven is. Heaven is filled with peace. Do you know, I remember when I was a young kid playing, I wanted to play cricket. I was, I was in the primers. Or maybe standard one. What's that in years now, Aaron? I, I don't know. Year one? Year one? Okay. And um, we wanted to go and play cricket on the, on the field. But of course the big boys were there and we were scared of them. We had no peace. But we wanted to go and have a piece of the cricket. And I remember the headmaster. His name was Mr. Henry. And Mr. Henry came up to me and some other boys, and he took my hand, and he walked me onto the cricket pitch. And when Mr. Henry was there, I had no fear. I had peace. He was the big man. And, man, and everything changed when Mr. Henry was there. And I think when we realize no matter what circumstance we're in, when God is there, when his presence is there, he brings all that he is. And he is peace. And that's what he brings into every circumstance when we yield to him. Isn't that good news? So I want to have a look at peace, peace briefly from three different areas. So God has positioned us to be at peace with him. Jesus gives us peace. And then we're called to be peacemakers. I don't think we'll get to that one this morning, Josh. But that's okay. It can wait for another time. God has positioned us to be at peace with him. If your heart is feeling troubled, that's not from God. God has placed you and said over you, I've positioned you to be at peace. Let's have a look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sake by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. God has made us through faith in Jesus to be at peace with him. Our sin separated us. Our faith in Jesus rejoins us, connects us. So we are positioned to be at faith, sorry, to be at peace with God. Isn't that good news? Right where you are, right day, it doesn't matter how you feel. If your faith is in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, God says, to use this analogy, come and sit by me, we're at peace. We're at peace. I want to pray into this right now. I can tell some of you are not at peace about that. 
Why don't you close your eyes and open your hands to heaven? Father, I thank you that your word declares that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who bore our sins, who paid the penalty for our sinfulness, that, Lord, you've given to us your righteousness so we can have peace with you, peace in relationships, peace in knowing that we're approved by you, not because of the good things that we have done, but because of the work that Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, I pray right now your peace, Lord, to embrace every person. Father, your peace to comfort every person and the knowledge, Lord, knowing that we're at peace with you, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Amen. Isn't that good to do? Do you know Jesus is eager to share his peace? He can't wait to dish peace out. He's looking for people. Who can I give peace to? Do you want to receive more and more peace from Jesus? I think sometimes, church, Jesus goes, I've got this gift to give. I'm just using you as an illustration because Andrew is always open to the gifts of God. But God is going, I've got this gift for you. And unless our hearts are ready to receive it, we go like this, and Jesus goes, I wanted to, and it spills to the ground. Jesus has peace that he wants to give every one of us an increasing measure. Let's read this story. I love the story in Mark chapter 5, verses 31 to 34. You'll know the story well. It's about the, the woman with the issue of blood who goes up and, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I will be healed. And so here she goes. She, has a, she is confronting fear. She takes up courage and she approaches him and just touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus feels power flow out from him and she's healed. She thought she was in big trouble. She thought she was in terrible trouble because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? Maybe he said it like that. Who touched me? <laughs> I don't know. He wouldn't speak like that, I'm sure. But he looked all around at their faces to see her done so. And then this woman, here she is. She's scared. She is just so concerned. Am I in trouble? Shaking all over. Because she knew she was the one who had done this. And she flung herself before him and told her whole story. And this is what Jesus said. I think this is amazing. This reflects the heart of Jesus. Go home in peace and be free from your trouble. Jesus is in the business of saying, go in peace and be free from trouble. Go in peace and be free from trouble. She had to confront fear. She had to embrace courage to step up to a new level. And she had to press into the very presence of God, right into Jesus. And as she did that, the peace of God came to her. Go home in peace and be free. I love this. God is on a peace mission. In Romans 16 verse 20 says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. God doesn't like trouble for his children. And he's out there with a mission to deal with it and give peace to those who place their faith in him. I love this other story too. We're going to end, wrap up with this one. I had lunch with Alan a couple of days ago. It was very nice, thank you, Alan. And uh, we were talking about the story of uh, Peter walking on the water. Well, it's actually, first of all, starts off with Jesus walking on the water. And so Jesus has fed 5,000 people. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't have to worry about dinner that night. Jesus just puts on a meal, 5,000 people fed, very good. Jesus says to his disciples, jump in the boat, go across the Sea of Galilee. Probably where this happened is on the north of the, the Sea of Galilee. Wendy and I have been there. It's a distance, I would guess, of about 15K across the lake. That's my estimate. And in the particularly in the north of the lake where this has most likely occurred, the, the water gets very stirred with the winds that come from the north. So probably what's happened, there's been the winds that have come from the north, stirred up the waters, and there's a storm. And it happens for about four months of the year, and they call it the stormy season on the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus sends the disciples in the boat, and the storm comes. And they are petrified. They are in trouble. They're not sure if they're going to get to the other side. Things are looking pretty challenging. And Jesus walks in the water. First of all, they think they see a ghost. But this is what Jesus says in verse 27. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Three things to confront the trouble. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Isn't that amazing? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say those three things. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Wow, that's, isn't that good? As I was talking to Alan, my thoughts just jumped right back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10, when there's a story of Adam and Eve, and they're in trouble with God. I mean, it's one thing to be in trouble with your wife. It's another thing to be in trouble with God. And of course, what does Adam do God comes walking through the, the garden in the evening and he says to Adam, Where are you? God knows where he is, but um, he's hiding. And this is what Adam says I was afraid, I was naked, uncovered, and I hid. And so he responds to his trouble by fear, by being naked, by hiding. Jesus knows all about this and he says those things. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here.